Rorschach's Journal, October 17th, 2022. Superhero Stuff You Should Know covers Watchmen. Good shit. Welcome to our show. This is Who Watches the Watchmen. And with me is... Andrew Big Ass Blue Dick Bush. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? We brought back the creative names again. <laughs> yes, I'm back, baby, with a vengeance. <laughs> with a big ass Pete Davidson cock that's blue. <laughs> You and mentioned just, that in the She-Hulk episode, and I was like, <laughs> I have heard that. <laughs> guess it's news. Yes, but uh, we are following up on our episode interviewing Sam Hamm, in that we covered his scripts for Batman 89, his unmade script for the Batman sequel, his Batman 89 comic series, but one thing we covered from his that we haven't covered on the show before is basically his unmade Watchmen script. Woo! written in 1989, 20 years before the 2009 film directed by Zack Snyder. So, we have not covered Watchmen before in this time, and Peanut is here to uh, give us the deep dive. Peanut, what do you think? Peanut, you read the script, right? He loves it. All right, good. End of show. Uh, Thank you for joining (laughs) us. Thanks, (laughs) Dan. The Peanut episodes are so short. I know. uh, We could go a little bit into our history of... Watchmen, since we haven't really talked that much about this show, but I, I am a fan of this comic. I read it for the first time in college. Everyone was just like, this is the greatest, it's the greatest comic book, it's the greatest graphic novel of all time. I'm like, well, I don't know about that, but it is pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Uh, I got, I, yeah, I got my own going. copy, because I read it from a friend, I got my own copy before the movie came out. Snyder film was probably my most anticipated, one of my most anticipated comic book movies at that time, maybe my most anticipated out of the Snyder directed movies in general before we got to Zack Snyder's Justice League. And while I know it's divisive, like a lot of Snyder stuff, I still think it's his, it's my second favorite superhero movie from Zack Snyder, right behind Zack Snyder's Justice League. I think it's, I, I thought he did a great job bringing it to life, and it's got one of the most underrated comic book movie performances from Jackie Earl Haley as Rorschach. I think he's the acting MVP of that movie. Some people were saying, oh, he's doing the Bale Batman voice. I say he did it better. I thought he was fantastic. And there's just the emotions in his final scene, too. You could tell it's it's a man who's been pretending to be more than human his whole life, but deep down is just a little man. So uh, the Night Owl costume... I was like, they need to make a Batman costume along these lines. None of this tennis shoe shit like with Bale's wearing. Let's get us something that actually looks <laughs> sleek and clean. And so I yearned for the day that Michael Wilkinson could do the bat suit. And the day came and the guy did not disappoint with the, you know, the Snyder Batflex suit. So uh, funny enough, I have yet to watch the HBO series. I know, I know. I just have not gotten around to it because I wanted to reread the comic first and I have just not been able to do that because I've been rereading, I've been reading these scripts for the show. So at some point, you know, this kind of got me going into like, maybe I can finally get around to it just because I've got to read the script for this episode and for this interview. Can't believe you, man. But you've watched it. I have. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I'm more prepared (laughs) than you for once. No, I haven't read the script though. (laughs) But um, uh, wait, you, you got more? Keep going. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much my my thoughts on Watchmen. Okay. It came out in, like, what, 2007 or something? When the, when this movie came out? The movie was 2009. 2009. My last year in Japan. All right. Yeah, I think I saw it in Japan. So, anyway, that's irrelevant. Um, but, like, all my comments, no. Um, so, basically, um, when I first saw the movie, I was like, that's ah, all right. You know, I don't think I really got it. I don't think I got... 
You had read this comic or you hadn't yet? I hadn't read the comic yet. yet. Uh, Okay. So, uh, like, I don't know. It just kind of felt like the points it was trying to make were left in the 80s. Like, whatever Alan Moore was trying to say was prevalent and pertinent in in that time, but kind of were kind of lost lost to that time i think is what i'm trying to say but then i saw a movie like a youtube video essay on i was ramping up for the hbo series Mm -hmm. so i watch i watch a video essay called like watchmen explained or something and like man thank god for those video essays because like me i don't know man i just wasn't clicking with watchmen at first Mm -hmm. then i Watch that, and I like kind of get like it totally explained it to me. I really needed that video in two thousand nine. <laughs> so, I'd be interested in seeing that actually, just to see what they say. Yeah, it was. I think it was called Watchmen Explained. So it was good, really good. And then I didn't rewatch the movie. I saw it in the theater. I've mm-hmm. seen the movie, and then I saw that YouTube video. Then I read the comic. Believe it or not, I did. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah, it was cool. Dr. Manhattan's my favorite. Everybody likes Rorschach. I like Dr. Manhattan. And, uh, then I watched the HBO show and man, it's like the best fucking, the way I describe it is like the best extrapolation of a myth Mm -hmm. of a story. Like it's better. Like they try to do this with Lord of the Rings with rings of power and with star Wars going kind of beyond, the original writer and everything. Mm-hmm. And like, this was to me was a true success. This was an awesome, like S tier superhero show. Uh, you kind of don't know what the fuck is going on for two episodes. Like WandaVision. At mm-hmm. least I, I did because <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was like kind of smart in school, but like, sometimes I just feel like an idiot, but like, I just wasn't getting it. But then I'll but, have to see but, the episodes. But yeah, but this show was great. This isn't really like I said, it's an S tier show. So, like at this point, I feel like I'm pretty up and up on Watchmen for the most part. I've read the comic. I've seen every fucking thing that's come out for it. Um, haven't read the script though. So, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah. I've not read. I've not watched the HBO series, so you've got that knowledge that I don't. But. I wouldn't need well, to watch the script, but that's not can it's not really canon. But <laughs> well, it's an ex- script. But, it's an yeah. extrapolation, you know. It's like but like like Warner Brothers didn't even get the Hobbit right, and there was a book for that. You know? <laughs> like this, there was like they were like kind of going going on their own. And yeah. it was still great, you know? Yeah. Really good. Really I, good. yeah, for me, you you mentioned Dr. Manhattan. I think we've talked about this before, maybe on the Patreon, but I think your your perspective shifts when you get older, I think Rorschach is supposed to be there for when you're like younger and you like like dark, gritty, hardcore vigilante shit. And then like when you're <laughs> adult, then you're just like, I don't know, I'm more like Dr. Manhattan where you're just a little bit, you've gone through life, you're a little bit fed up with certain things or certain things you're like less passionate about and more able to let go because you realize life's too short, like that type of feeling. Not necessarily of just full out apathy, but just like kind of feeling kind of above it all on certain issues and stuff. So like, that's kind of how yeah. I, I felt too. When going I think I, that's a cool, like, you know, evolution. I think a lot of people do that. And Matt, Dr. Manhattan has like had a lot of memes and mm-hmm. kind of more memeable than, than Rorschach, I guess. And I, I yeah, I, I can understand that. I probably, if I had seen, 
like in 2009, you know, I was already like 25 or something. Maybe mm-hmm. I was already kind of getting over Rorschach. I don't know what it was. I thought that scene was cool when it's mm-hmm. like, you're locked in here with me. Yeah. Everybody likes that scene. That scene's fucking badass. Mm-hmm. But like, the thing is like, I like Superman and this is kind of before my Superman stuff my, mm-hmm. when I got super into Superman. But for me, I've always liked really big sci-fi ideas and that's Alan Moore's putting those in there with him. You got your street level with Rorschach, mm-hmm. but then you got your like pretty much almost literally larger than life character. Yeah. And like you're whacked out like science ideas that you barely understand, but you love anyway. Like he's your sci-fi character. So, and I've traditionally been like a re- like more of a sci-fi guy. So, like you know, I I thought he was cool. He was a pretty cool character. Mhm. No, and sure. he's kind of over it all. Yeah, I'm sure you kind of get more into that kind of character the older you get. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, like, I don't think I really cared that much for Dr. Manhattan when I first read it. I was just like, oh, yeah. okay, I kind of get it, but I don't think it really sunk in. And then later on, I'm just like, oh, this is the best character. <laughs> like, he's he's cool, man. He's he's cool. I mean, it's exactly what was, like, it's kind of a commentary on Superman, right? Like, it's what Superman kind of would be, not evil, Mm-hmm. Not good, just kind of indifferent. That's Moore's take on Superman. Yeah, I think so. It's it's yeah, it's cool. And I'm sure if I read this, if I was like 18 or 16, and like what did it come out? 86, the comic. Yeah, uh, yeah, 86. I yeah, believe. if I was if I was that age then, I'm sure it would have blew my fucking mind wide open. But uh, you know, yeah, this has just been my journey with Watchmen. Gotcha. Well. We are here to discuss when they tried to tr- turn it into a movie in the 80s, which automatically are kind of like, well, how would that have worked? <laughs> Considering like all the CG they needed for Dr. Manhattan alone in the 2009 movie, plus just the state of superhero movies at the time. You know, like I, I still think 2009 was too early for Watchmen. Like this is a oh, deconstruction of superheroes. And this is, we didn't even like superheroes being constructed and deconstructed in 2016 with BVS in no. terms of the public. So no. uh, there we go. All right. So comic came out in 1986. As Andrew said, all credits, of course, go to the writer, Alan Moore, illustrator and letterer, Dave Gibbons, and colorist, John Higgins, the sort of uh, underrated part three uh, of that trio. But uh, apparently when the comic was only three issues in, Hollywood came knocking. So producer wow. Joel Silver from like Lethal Weapon and stuff like major, major movies. Joel Silver's like, I want the rights for this, even though it's like it's three issues in. The story wasn't even complete. Uh, but the first person that came to his mind, the perfect person to write the script was Alan Moore himself. And of course, Moore said, no. Fuck, of course no, I'm he not did. Doing, I'm not doing that. He so wants superheroes off his lawn. <laughs> Sam Hamm said in an interview, I applaud Alan's discrimination. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> okay, great. That was a great, that was a great sound part I got be from, diplomatic. Uh, yeah, from one of his interviews. But yeah, I mean, also it got him the job. So Joel Silver then, of course, turns to Sam Hamm, who is now known among Hollywood as like, oh, this guy's the comic book guy. He cracked the Batman thing that these guys are doing. And so Silver goes to Sam Hamm after the, the comic's already been completed and says, I don't know if this is a movie or not. <laughs> so it's up to Sam Hamm, who has the daunting task of turning this comic uh, into a two-hour movie. And so in different interviews, Hamm's brought up, first off, this it's not going to be the same. 
He said, quote, the difficult and unfortunate thing that you wind up having to do is to convert the story from a kind of postmodern approach into more of a classical kind of thing with a regular through line. In other words, he pretty much had to, like, condense everything into just, like, what is the story? What's the core mystery? What's, like, the essential information you need to know right down to the bare bones? So some stuff gets cut, some of the stuff that people really like about Watchmen or stuff that, that helps add to it. That all gets uh, basically on the cutting room floor. It obviously does not have the Black Friday, uh, the, the whole yeah. like pirate comic that's in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Like that's obviously not even in it. It's not even in the theatrical or director's cut of Snyder's. You have to get like his ultimate cut in order to get that uh, that comic <laughs> in there, which I still have not seen. I want to check it out, but I just I get the feeling it's just going to completely disrupt the the movie viewing experience. I might stick to the director's cut, but. Um, for what this job is, I think Ham, and I said this to him in the interview too, Like I think it is an admirable job if your job is in 1989 to just condense this into a two-hour movie. Uh, right. So right. let's see what you guys think. This has actually been pretty controversial uh, for Watchmen fans based off of what I've read in the past because it is a new beginning. So there's a new prologue and then mostly like a condensed version of the comic. And then as hinted about in our interview with, with Sam Ham he went in a completely different direction with the ending. So with that, in that case, as we, as we brought up, it was one where he figured the ending of the comic was too close to the Outer Limits episode that Alan Moore even calls out in the comic, and he felt that they were going to run into legal problems, which could be why Hollywood has always tried to change the ending, like the Dr. Manhattan frame up yeah. is a variation in the Snyder film. I didn't know if we can comment on that or not, but yeah, I is that so that's public knowledge, right? Well that's what that's what Ham said in the yeah, in yeah. our interview with him. So I figured Okay. We can I didn't carry know what that, that was <laughs> can't remember what was I guess that was all on the record. Yeah. But anyway, so uh basically yeah, so that's another t- instance where it's like you can't like shit on Snyder. Like if that's wasn't Snyder's call Studio mandate says you can't make this ending because of those outer limits kind of the thing. And then mm-hmm. what can you do, you know? Yeah. And also the way that Snyder did it is way closer, way closer to the comic than what Sam Ham does here with the ending, which we'll okay. get to the ending. I'll, I'll put it out there. I, I'm glad Ham did not detail it in our interview just so that we could like go into this unspoiled <laughs> for the audience and for you. But when I got to this ending, I was just like, wait, what? So it is, it's insane. It is insane. It's, okay, it's cool. even more insane than the comic, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So uh, let's go bit by bit. We have, as I said, an, a new opening. So there's a new prologue that's no, you know, there's no big montage of Bob Dylan into the openings because he's, this is a two hour movie, not a close to three hour movie. So we open New York City, July 1976. Terrorists have taken over basically the Statue of Liberty, and they have 40 hostages at the very top. The SWAT team leader is attempting to negotiate with them until they see what seems like a plane or ship appear. And the SWAT leader says, Christ almighty, it's the goddamn Watchmen. (laughs) We get the titular line in the first line. (laughs) So the ship, of course, is the Owl ship, and this sort of established that they named the actual superhero team the Watchmen. So for those who might not remember in the comic, Watchmen was kind of more of a symbolic name for it. They weren't actually called the Watchmen team, but again, like it's a movie adaptation in 1989 and in 2009. It makes a lot of sense that you have a group of superheroes as characters. They used to be a team and the title is called Watchmen. Why would you not name the team Watchmen 
in the movie, just to make it simpler, because, <laughs> you know, the main audience is going to refer to them that way anyway. So that's something that carried over from the ham script into the Snyder film. And I support it. I, it makes sense to just do that. So uh, inside the owl ship are Captain Metropolis, uh, Rorschach, and Night Owl. And it's notable that Night Owl is spelled differently in the ham script. It's spelled the traditional N-I-G-H-T, as opposed to the comic, which is N-I-T-E. So I thought that was interesting. Or uh, maybe he just forgot while he was, he was writing the script. We, let's just bring him back and ask him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sam. <laughs> What's going on there? So uh, also the the boss of them, the strategist giving directions from headquarters, is Adrian Veidt. Interesting to note, he is not the superhero Ozymandias in this version of the script. He does not seem to have that superhero identity. I, I did a whole like word search, like find the word Ozymandias. It's not in the script at all. So, uh, again, I think they were just kind of, he's just, again, streamlining streamlining everything here. Joel Silver's like, it's a little bit too weird of a name. <laughs> I don't like it. Can we go with superhero names that we can pronounce? Yeah. <laughs> we're already pushing it with Rorschach. I got this script with a character named Neo. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, the comedian swims to shore, and he dons his happy face button and confronts the terrorists at first. Uh, who take a janitor hostage, and this is, I, I like this character work from Ham. The comedian sees that they take a hostage, and he just kind of shrugs, and he shoots through the janitor. <laughs> so it establishes this guy is, this guy's not a hero. This guy is a piece of work. Uh, so, moving on, he helps Silk Spectre get inside, and we got most of the team here looking for this bomb that's in the Statue of Liberty. Um, just <laughs> because of the fact that comedian... It's not going to have that big of a role, because remember, we're going to cut down on a lot of the flashbacks here. Um, Ham very quickly establishes Comedian's character very well for what's mainly like a three-scene role. So Comedian tells Silk Spectre, just barge in, and while they're staring at your tits, we'll blow their balls off. <laughs> That's called strategy. <laughs> Again, this is not in the comic. This is all Sam Ham here. Um, so Comedian... <laughs> <laughs> they use that strategy. Oh, Comedian blows their balls off uh, with his gun. And uh, one of the terrorists, however, is still alive enough to set off the bomb's countdown. Now, this is where Ham establishes this is not your grandfather's superhero team because uh, Comedian at this point sees that the bomb's about to go off and says, fuck him, and takes off, abandoning the people. Adrian, at home, tells Night Owl to abort the mission. And while Night Owl objects they got to make it out of there alive. And so most of the team makes it out, except for Captain Metropolis, who is stuck there with the hostages as the Statue of Liberty explodes. Yes, we took this image from Batman Forever uh, <laughs> with, the, with the helicopter crashing into Lady Gotham. Yes, because this movie was never made. Not, yeah. Ham, not Ham's version. <laughs> Arriving too late, however, is a giant naked blue man with a huge dick, except for this image. <laughs> <laughs> Just a swangin'. And uh, the comedian oh, yells, asshole, what took you so long? As Dr. Manhattan arrives and looks what? on in dismay as the charred remains of Lady Liberty. I got to ask you a question. Does, yeah. he, does he say that he has full schlong in the script? <laughs> it does say that he's naked. It does say that he's naked. It does say, okay, good, good. It's good. not described as schlong, but it does say that he's naked. Dude, it's Dr. Manhattan, dude. He's got to have a... He's, he's got to have it. He's got to have a hog. <laughs> Alan Moore's like, it's symbolic of his apathy towards yeah, humanity. Yeah, right. <laughs> also he's gives got a, Dave Givens an excuse to draw huge slong. <laughs> he's got... Look, 
Uh, he's got a lot of metaphor going on. I don't think there's anything, any metaphor going on with his dick other than like being like superhuman. You know what I mean? That's the only thing. It's part you of the Superman understand. form. You don't understand your American brain. Let me go worship my snake god right now. Your brain rotted by other comic books. I'm like, Alan, you write comic books. You ever you ever seen the interview where he's talking about he worships a snake god? I I I don't I don't think I have. I think I know the snake god stuff from you. I don't think I've seen the actual interviews. Oh man, <laughs> I love researching that stuff. I've watched a lot of Alan Moore interviews, dude. That guy. Oh my god, man. Yes, uh, he worships a snake god. It's true. Look maybe, it up. Maybe I should get on that just so that you know, <laughs> if if you can write like Alan Moore, maybe there's something to that. But. It's funny. So I'm going to take a real quick tangent. Real yep. quick. Alan Moore, known to be kind of like, you'd say he's like kind of methodical or whatever. I mm-hmm. think so. Compared to Grant Morrison, who seems like kind of a chaos kind of guy. Incarnate, However, yeah. the kind of magic, magic with a K, that they're into, this is like a cult shit, right? They're, so Grant Morrison is into Aleister Crowley who is a very methodical magician. I thought he'd be into chaos magic, which is a whole other deal. Mm -hmm. Cut to Alan Moore loves chaos magic and uh, is even in a documentary and even writes a foreword for uh, the guy that created or helped to create chaos magic, which isn't that old, uh, a guy named Austin Osmond Spare. Uh, yes, I looked into all of this shit. Uh, so it's it's just funny because to me it seemed like they would be into the opposite guys. Yeah. But yeah. but you know that's how it is. It should be like a battle of the comic book sorcerers type of story with Alan Moore versus Grant Morrison if that hasn't and, already been written. And then the good wizard Neil Gaiman, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Cause, he's like in cause, between. Because <laughs> Gaiman's like Gandalf the White. Like he's also yeah. into occult shit, but he just seems to be so much more uh, chipper. Yeah, that's true. Grant Morrison too, I think a lot more than more, but there's a darkness to 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 Morrison. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Neil's like in between. Yeah. So uh, this art, as you might notice, is not from the comic. It's been, it, I mean, it is the Doctor Manhattan from Dave Gibbons, but it has been photoshopped by Dan to include the Statue of Liberty on flat. Nice, so, man. Dan, thanks, going Dan. above and beyond. <laughs> yes, for uh, giving us these images. So this is bringing the Sam Ham script to life. But anyway, Statue of Liberty blows up. The, the superhero team basically fucked up, and the city revokes its contract with the Watchmen, and the Senate introduces legislation that bans superheroes nationwide. So now it's pretty much established that this used to be, you know, the top superhero team. They fucked up once, and now they're no longer, like, they're defunct now. And so at this point, you know, if you're you're either on board with this or you're not. You're either so hardcore into the comic where you're just like, eh, this is bullshit, or you're just like, okay, I understand you got to do what you need to do in order to adapt this to a two-hour movie in 1989. Um, but I, I I see that this is a better way to introduce the superheroes to the audience in, like, a short form versus just flat-out starting it with Watchmen, but, like, the actual comic where it's just, like, somebody died and you introduce, like, Rorschach and the different superheroes, like, gradually. Like, they kind of need that introduction, that prologue. If we put ourselves in the lenses of people in 89 who have just experienced... Tim Burton's Batman and like haven't really watched many superhero movies. Again, this is trying to, it's a deconstruction of superheroes set at a time where superheroes were barely constructed in cinema. So I know it's way early. I mean, yeah. it's been early in 09 really, but yeah, 
were audience, I don't know if like 1989, 1990 audience yeah. would have been ready for that big ass blue dick. I, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, society wasn't ready, bro. <laughs> I, I really doubt that they would have kept him naked in the movie. Or if they did, it would have just been maybe like a butt shot at one point. But you wouldn't see That's it. Yeah. You were seeing a full on dick, right? In uh, the 09 one. Oh, yeah. Like everybody yeah, was right? talking about, like, why. Yeah. Is this like this was so distracting? People would say, "I'm just like it's Doctor Manhattan, bro." Dude, he's, that's Snyder, man. He's going all the way. Which, by the way, like people would are like saying, like, and look, maybe it was, there's something to this, but they said that his like treatment of the Amazons wasn't was like he revealed too much. It was too revealing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, dude, he made 300 with a bunch of muscle boys, and he had a big ass blue dick for a long time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, this is just yeah. Snyder's thing, man. Yeah, yeah. And again, the argument's different for women, I, I know, at times, but I just thought that was an interesting point. That's true, yeah. And when, when we talked about that, we brought up how, like, the the women who played the Amazons in that movie wanted to, like, it, it was pretty much the same thing as 300. Like, you work out so much in the gym, you want to show off those muscles, and you can't if it's just right. you're under heavy armor the whole time. So they did appreciate that. And I think the actual body of uh, Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen was from uh, Greg Plitt, uh, like major bodybuilder. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately. But like that's, that's, that's a real guy's body that the whole thing's based off of. So like it is a celebration of the human body of, of you know, both men and women in Snyder's right, stuff. Right, yeah. He, Snyder's just into like physicality, yeah. you know? Yeah, which, you know, yeah. it's appropriate for these movies anyway, because, like, the way that these characters are always drawn, it's so much about the muscle, because it's it's the power. It's the, <laughs> yes, that's, it's that's the true. physical dynamic part of them, that's so true. totally get it. Um, so, to simplify things, there is no previous generation of superheroes, like, in the comics. So, there's no previous Night Owl, Hollis Mason, there's no, like, Silk Spectre's mom is not... Uh, Silk, Spectre, Silk Spectre's mom is not even mentioned in the whole script. Again, we're trying to simplify everything. So it's just this team. Uh, and then we kind of get a cool opening s- credit sequence that kind of go inside like time pieces and watches because, you know, it's Watchmen. And also like uh, Dr. Manhattan's father uh, was a watchmaker in the comic. So it's kind of like playing off of that idea uh, as well as something else that will come up with the ending. But I'm not going to spoil that. Anyway, uh, we now jump into the adaptation of the comic book story where... Someone has fallen out of a window to his death. And below, a red-headed homeless man carrying an the end is nigh sign walks and finds the bloody happy face pin on the ground and looks up. Uh, later, we meet Rorschach, who sneaks into the crime scene, confirming his suspicion that the man who was tossed out the window was the comedian. Uh, we then catch up with Daniel Dryberg, the alter ego of Night Owl. Uh, and Ham sort of adds this nice little character moment where he sees, like, oh, he sees these gang members beating up an old man, and he sort of daydreams about, like, his old days as Night Owl where he would have interfered, but now he's retired. And so even though he's, like, tempted to do it, this uh, police hovercraft shines a light on them and scares off the gang members, and Ham sort of establishes that the superheroes have been replaced by a counterterrorism unit uh, that the government created, and so now it's, like, almost kind of become a police state instead of having superheroes around and so they protect the streets uh in this new version of like 1985 so i thought that was interesting uh dan goes inside and finds that rorschach's in his apartment and he says good god man you're wanted on 14 counts of murder 
And Rorschach says at least six of those are trumped up. So <laughs> it does lead into something that I read from him where he actually wanted to push the envelope more with Rorschach. He wanted Rorschach to be more messed up than in the comic. Because I think, again, you can read this as, like I did at like 17, 18, and be like, this is awesome. Rorschach is basically like Batman in a hat and trench coat. He's, you know, he's amazing. Everybody loves Rorschach. And then you read it later on as an adult, and you're just like, this guy's a fucking asshole, and he's a racist, and he's a homophobe, <laughs> and like he's not even that effective sometimes. That's the wisdom of the snake god, bro. <laughs> no, ser- but seriously, <laughs> like that's I I think Moore had that all there. Yeah, like he was he was like smart enough to have have that like to be operating on both levels. You know? Yeah. So like when you read it at a certain age, you you attach to that character, and then later on you kind of see what he's doing, and you attach to another character. So it's all really. It's fascinating to me uh, on how that worked out. But yeah, I think Ham wanted to push it so that it would be even more evident. Like, yeah, this guy's not Batman. <laughs> this guy's not the type that you root for. Uh, so I thought that was cool. Like in the comic, Rorschach shows Daniel the smiley button and shares that the comedian is dead. And so he suspects that someone is going around killing superheroes, the past Watchmen. So... Driver goes and calls up Adrian Veidt about the news. We meet Veidt in his office where he's basically a major corporate inventor. And Ham adds the fact that, uh, you know, one of his inventions are like people smoke cigarettes, but instead of it uh, polluting their lungs and causing cancer, it helps like clean their lungs and stuff. So it like gives the opposite <laughs> effect. So oh, man. I thought that was interesting. Uh, so in the script, Adrian then goes to visit Silk Spectre and Dr. Manhattan where yes, Dr. Manhattan is naked. <laughs> <laughs> as we see in this butt shot here. Yes. Uh, and they're living in a military base. However, when he shrinks down to talk to Adrian, he then, like, creates the thing that covers up his junk. So uh, <laughs> we might have gotten just a butt shot. But uh, Adrian is the one who visits uh, Lori and John here, not Rorschach, like in the comic. And I feel like the reason why could just be to give more of a role to Adrian in the beginning because, like... Ozymandias is like the most mysterious out of these guys in the comic. So then it becomes a little obvious as you read further, like, okay, wait a minute. I think this guy's the guy behind everything. So I think that's my guess in terms of that. Uh, again, we're just kind of opening up questions so that we have an excuse to bring Sam Ham back. Uh, but... <laughs> Come back to us, Sam. <laughs> uh, Manhattan does not seem phased by the idea that the comedian is dead because he already knew about it because he can see all of time and stuff. And right, uh, right. Lori is freaked out by that because he didn't tell her. <laughs> he didn't tell her that one of their former teammates was dead and stuff. So uh, it just shows he's losing more and more of his humanity. So I thought, uh, you know, he's pretty true to the comic outside of it being Adrian instead of Rorschach. Uh, then Rorschach goes into a bar and interrogates a guy breaking his fingers to find out who killed the comedian. But unlike, you know, say a Batman scene, it's pretty much like he breaks the guy's fingers. Nobody knows nothing. And he leaves. <laughs> um, at one point, this will be a treat for Batman 89 fans, though. At one point, he identifies one of the people there as Johnny Gobbs, who 89 fans will remember. Johnny Gobbs got ripped on, walked off a roof uh, when fighting Batman. So it seems like that's mm-hmm. uh, one of Ham's favorite criminal names. So that goes in there. And uh, moving further, uh, we have the whole thing where L- Lori might. <laughs> Laurie potentially almost has a threesome with Dr. Manhattan and Dr. Manhattan uh, when he uh, duplicates himself, but then she's horrified that he basically is doing that while working, and she's pissed because it's just, again, more and more of Dr. Manhattan losing his humanity. 
uh, and losing what makes him human in some ways. So uh, she goes off to the only man who she would really want to hang out with who's kind of human, and that's Dan Dryberg. Uh, and they discuss sort of all the stuff that's happened. We get some of the exposition on what happened after the Statue of Liberty explosion where the superheroes had a choice. They either went to jail or they could work for the government, for the CTU, the, the you know civil terrorism unit. So Comedian was the only one who took the deal to work for the government, and he did political assassinations. Uh, so somewhat true to the comic outside of the formal, you know, CTU unit, but uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, they reminisce about old times, and uh, we briefly get to the funeral of the Comedian, which is like a tenth of the length <laughs> of in the Snyder movie in the comic, because they don't do a whole series of flashbacks during it. Ham is just like, the Comedian has a funeral. All right, next scene. <laughs> So I was amused <laughs> reading that because that's, you know, that's, you know, that's easily like 20 minutes of the movie and like a whole issue in the comic. But I, I totally get it that, again, you're trying to streamline everything. You, you leave it to the, exp- leave the exposition to like the bare bones. So comedian, whoever was cast as the comedian back in 1989 would barely have had much of a role anyway. Uh, Lori goes back home only to find that the government is sweeping through their area they bring up that it's come to their attention that Dr. Manhattan's old associates have some form of lymphatic cancer, which is another subplot in the comic. But here's Ham's first major addition, not subtraction, but he an addition to this. They examine Lori, and they reveal through a scan that Lori has cancer and that Silk Spectre has six to eight months to live. That's not in the comic. I was like, yeah. whoa, okay. I thought you were just condensing shit here, Sam, but... Uh, there's an addition here, and I, and it pays off later, but I was wondering, I'm like, okay, where, where's this going to go? Uh, Dr. Manhattan has the interview on live TV, and we kind of have, you know, they give some exposition about how he helped change history with the Vietnam War by helping us win it, kind of the same stuff that we see in the comic. And one of the reporters brings up information that we just learned, in which, you know, what about all those people you knew who now have cancer? Could you be toxic? And stuff, and of course that causes the panic. That happens, and, and Dr. Manhattan yells at everyone to leave him alone, and then he disappears. Uh, he first goes to a military site where he meets one of the federal investigators and learns that Lori is positive for cancer herself, and he decides, well, she's dead then. She's the last human I cared for, so I'm going away. And so he goes to the Arizona desert where he gets flashbacks to his origin where he was Dr. John Osterman, um, all like kind of very a bare bones version of the all the flashbacks that we get in the comic and the movie and stuff. And at one point, his girlfriend Janie's her watch gets broken, and he's like, "Well, my dad was a watchmaker, so I'm going to fix it." So he fixes it inside, uh, you know, the test room. Not a smart idea, uh, <laughs> but he, he leaves it inside of the test room in there. And like in the comic, when he goes to retrieve it, that's when he gets locked in, and uh, there before the big blast that's going to create him. Uh, sort of create Dr. Manhattan. So everyone attempts to get him out and shut off the power to the explosion that's about to happen, but they fail, and so he gets disintegrated. But, of course, he comes back as Dr. Manhattan. So rest of the flashbacks in the comics are gone. Ham just basically keeps it to Dr. Manhattan has flashbacks to his origin. End of story. Uh, and even here, I was just like, well, you kept that flashback in, Sam. Like, why is that? And then you find out later why. But... Uh, in the comic, Rorschach interrogates former supervillain Moloch, though in the script, Moloch is on a date <laughs> in the middle of it when, ha- when uh, Rorschach just basically uh, interrogates the fuck out of him. 
Uh, Moloch used to be part of this, you know, count, you know, civil terrorism unit like the comedian did. And so Rorschach wants Moloch to sort of give him information. He wants him to be his informant. And he finds out that the comedian has been looking into these like missing scientists. And there's a plot that has something to do with Dr. Manhattan. Again, kind of like foreshadowing the Snyder version of it, where it turned out to all be a frame up for Dr. Manhattan which is not where Ham's going to go with this, but I thought that was interesting. Um, meanwhile, Lori's, obviously, her husband has left to another planet, so she reunites with Dan, and Dan offers her to stay with him. Uh, and then later, Rorschach visits Moloch, only to find him dead, and has been set up as the CTU finds him. Now, Sam Ham seems to be a big fan of jazz. He did actually literally describe Batman as jazz in our interview. Uh, mm. I think he's a big fan of Fats Waller because he had Bruce Wayne sing the song Honeysuckle Rose in the shower in his 1986 Batman script. And here he has the song Supposin' by Fats Waller during a montage where he intercuts between uh, Rorschach getting caught by the cops with uh, and fighting them off with Dan and Lori kind of getting it on. Uh, but unfortunately, Daniel Dryberg can't get it up, like the, establishing that part of it so mm. it's interesting to contrast the two scenes because you've got rorschach facing off against the cops with you know making makeshift explosions explosives out of household items and then you've got this love scene but uh rorschach rorschach gets caught by the ctu who unmask him of course revealing the red-headed homeless guy who holds the end of his nigh sign and <laughs> rorschach has been caught we're about halfway through the script we'll find out what happens to him as well as the insane ending that ham created after the break just wanted to announce that I have a new podcast called Gaming Gaiden. It's about retro gaming. It's a lot about Japanese to English translation in this first season. It will be 10 episodes each season. First season will be dropping soon, much sooner than Amono Recon. The co-host for this one will be Mike Torres. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general, Japanese cultural differences as well, and we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly, aka EGM, so stay tuned for that. So please be on the lookout for Gaming Gaiden Podcast coming soon. Ellen, in 15 seconds, what is Nice Games Club? It's our game dev podcast. Steven, help! Game mechanics, accessibility, art and animation, level design, prototyping. Everything that goes into making video games. How's that, Mark? Nice. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get your podcasts or at nicegames.club. Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast where two guys delve into the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and the impact it's had on pop culture. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The, the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, yeah. scientifically possible. or. But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's Shh. arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't it's, read Dune! You have, no, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. What's that? majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with the sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. 
If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the Full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sail for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your display armada. HyperX has refined their lightweight Cloud Stinger headset and now proudly presents the Evolved Cloud Stinger 2. It still keeps the same rotating ear cups, swivel to mute microphone, and comfort, but now adds two years of premium DCS Headphone X activation. Get even better in-game audio and a number of other refinements for the low, low price of $50. Available now at HyperX.com. May the beast boys to free my soul. I would like to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. And we're back, and Rorschach has just been arrested. We're going to find out what happens next. Uh, so one thing to note is I said before the Black Freighter pirate comic is not in the script. However, Ham does mention that at the newsstand, the kid is reading a comic, and it is, quote, Colonel North and his Howling Commandos. So that's a Nick Fury reference with the Howling Commandos right there. Got Marvel in here? Okay. Yeah. Um, but I guess in his world, because I think the idea in Watchmen was that like superheroes already exist, so there wouldn't really be superhero comics. Some said like the popular comics are like pirate comics, old adventure comics, and so I think Ham's just continuing that idea. We're like, okay, now the comics are like about the military or like army adventures and stuff. So it's an interesting idea. Uh, in the script, we meet Doctor Malcolm Long, the police psychiatrist assigned to study Rorschach. And he goes home to his wife, expressing his desire to understand what exactly makes Rorschach tick. And he really thinks he can help this guy. <laughs> Poor bastard. <laughs> so uh, we then get to the interrogation room where he attempts to learn more about Rorschach. He shows him actual Rorschach cards. And uh, Rorschach is clearly just telling him what he wants to hear. And, you know, Dr. Long knows that. He knows that he's just pandering to him. Uh, in the meantime, Adrian, over at his uh, corporation ends up getting blindsided by a reporter trying to ask him about, you know, this Rorschach arrest just when she gets shot to death by an assassin. Adrian, like in the comic, immediately takes the guy out and tries to ask him who sent him, but the guy bites down on a poison capsule and dies. At this point, Adrian calls Dan Dryberg and says, someone's just tried to kill me, and he decides, you know what, let's all be safe, and he offers to have Dan and Lori stay with him in his base, Karnak, over in the, you know, Arctic area. Uh since he thinks that now Rorschach might be right, that superheroes are being targeted. Uh, meanwhile, in the prison, Rorschach gets attacked in the mess hall, but he fights them off, and of course, in the, scene, in, the, in the later scene, Rorschach says the famous line, I'm not locked up in here with you. You're locked up in here with me. So, uh, that is intact. Uh, Long has another session with Rorschach, and we get a flashback to how he became crueler after he was investigating the girl's kidnapping. Uh, in the comic, it was one where he tracked down the man. He saw that the man fed the girl to the dogs. Uh, and then he basically killed the dogs, handcuffed the guy to, uh, you know, part of, you know, part of his house and then gave him a saw as an opportunity to saw his way out as he lit the place on fire and the guy died. Uh, Ham, again, is trying to make Rorschach more fucked up. So apparently that was too PG for this. <laughs> Oh, so man. Ham confronts the murderer, 
And he recently went to the market because he has all this raw hamburger meat. And he spreads all the raw hamburger meat and the cow blood on the murderer. And then he lets in the hungry dogs. And he lets the dogs eat the murderer. And then he takes the meat cleaver and he butchers the dogs. That... <laughs> this is a hell of a scene, man. <laughs> now, mind you, some of this is done with Rorschach just narrating. You don't necessarily see him do a lot of this yeah. type of stuff. But it's I'm just like, what? That's not in the comic. <laughs> it, it, they were pushing it, it felt, as it is in the movie where Snyder made it more violent. Shocking, I know. <laughs> where he just uses the meat cleaver and he just hacks down on the guy. But yeah. this one, I'm just like, it could have been even more fucked up. Like, Ham really went there with this part. Uh, but it just goes to show that this man's sort of morality slipped when he saw just, he saw evil and he decided to reflect on that, like be a reflection of that and how he fought it. Uh, so in the meantime, on happier news, we get Dan and Lori who find out that there's been a peace rally that's broken out on the street and, uh, the Cold War has continued to heat up. Dr. Manhattan's nowhere to be seen, so they kind of, uh, you know, want to help bring more... It feels like they're protesting all the different things, like the oncoming war. And the CTU, you know, basically the cops, are not having it, and they attack these protesters. Dan and Lori decide to come in. They don their costumes. They bring the ship over, and they attack the CTU, telling them to stop firing immediately. And everyone looks up to see that the Watchmen have returned. And then what follows is another addition from Ham, where there is a chase between the owl ship and, like, the police hovercraft thing. So now we've got, like, this aerial chase in the city in Watchmen. I thought that was kind of cool, even though, you know, it's not in the comic. But the owl ship decides to go at super speed at 400 miles per hour and manages to lose them, obviously above all the buildings, or else he would definitely destroy a lot of the, uh, the tops of those roofs. But, uh, again, kind of a cool sequence. Uh, because he's just been doing some crime fighting, Dan is able to get it up, and they have sex off screen. Uh, <laughs> there's right. no Leonard Cohen, hallelujah. Instead, it's Billy Holiday's You're My Thrill playing as uh, we get to their post-coital scene. Uh, Snyder loves that song, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was his daughter's favorite. That is true. I keep forgetting that aspect of it. Yeah, so it's... Uh, it's basically, you know, we skip the actual sex, but it's still maintains the idea that Dan Dryberg is only able to get it up due to being in costume or due to being able to be night owl. And so since he already, uh, you know, he already got laid and sated for a bunch of people and is feeling like a badass, he's just like, all right, well, let's bring Rorschach out of prison. And Laurie's like, what? <laughs> so they go over to the prison where there's already a riot because the men that Rorschach wounded in the cafeteria have died from their burns. And so we get some of the same stuff that we get in the comic, the other prisoners try to bust into Rorschach's cell to kill him. He ends up, you know, breaking his toilet so the water goes onto the floor. And then when they step in the water, he brings, like, the live wire over to it. So he electrocutes them to death. Uh, the mob boss, Little Bigger, <laughs> runs off. And Rorschach <laughs> follows him into the bathroom and kills him as Night Owl and Silk Spectre find him. And so we have the reunion of the three of the Watchmen. And they talk about, like, what do we do next? Who could be behind these frame-ups and Rorschach? goes with the idea that these people who claim to have cancer might not actually have cancer. And Lori, at this point, snaps and reveals that that's not true. They do actually have cancer because she does. And she has about six mm. months to live. And, of course, Dan Dryberg did not know this. So he's, you know, now that he's already gotten to be with the love of his life, he's distraught about this news. And he's even more distraught as her husband shows up. Dr. Manhattan arrives and is like, I'm going to take you to Mars. So... 
<laughs> he takes it to Mars, oh, just like in, in the comic. But things Some have to change. Some of my favorite change. scenes, I think. These, yeah, the Mars these scenes here. Yeah, the Mars. I don't know. I thought it was cool. It's, it's poetry. It's yeah. like the way that it's written and the way that it was done in the movie, too, is just so well done. Uh, but yeah. uh, in the comic, things are different because in, in both this script and in the comic, Dr. Manhattan's like talking to Lori and she's trying to convince him to interfere and actually intervene and save the world. In the comic, though, he's ultimately swayed to do it when he discovers that Lori's father was the comedian and that the comedian and her mother were in love at one point and he has that beautiful speech about how, like, you know, the she was kind of born out of hopelessness. She was born out of two uh, people. One, the comedian being this terrible, awful person, and yet, like, out of that union comes, you know, somebody he loves. And so he decides, okay, I will go back. Obviously, you can't do that in the script because we don't have the comedian backstory of her mom. Her mom's not even a character in this. So instead, it's about Dr. Manhattan deciding that he's going to cure Lori's cancer and that he has the power to do that. I was just thinking, yeah. I was, yeah. Sorry, I don't remember everything about it, even though I've seen all of it and read all of it. But he does. Never mind. Yeah, I was like, he can do all this shit but not cure cancer. Like, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Keep keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I, I, I feel like Ham though was might have read that part in the comic, and he was just like, just have Doctor Manhattan cure the cancer. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's like super genius, right? Yeah. Sees he all, all this, of time. You know, he does all the stuff that like change. I, I think he can just manipulate all atoms. So like, wouldn't you be able to do that? So yeah. Yes, exactly. No, right. <laughs> it, that seems to be within your purview. Yeah. So that's kind of why we have this subplot with the Lori Lori's cancer because I think Ham needed another way for Doctor Manhattan's arc to be fulfilled because you otherwise you would have to shove in all the com- comedian backstory with her her mom and there just wasn't room for that. So, uh, back to Night Owl. Night Owl is lost for ideas, decides, you know what? Adrian uh, offered his hideout at Karnak for us. So, they go to the Antarctic retreat, and they realize something's wrong as the ship, the Owl ship, gets hit by a shockwave. And so, they land, but they find that Adrian is not going to let them in. And Rorschach figures out from this that Adrian must be the one behind all the killings. So, they ambush him, but he outmaneuvers them like in the comic, um, which makes it a little more awkward because he's not a superhero in this version, or he wasn't, you know, Ozymandias. So somehow he has these skills. But anyways, he reveals he was the one to give Lori the cancer along with all these other people, revealing that uh, everyone thought that the cigarettes was supposed to prevent cancer, but if anything, it more aggressively gave them the lung cancer. He basically just gave them regular cigarettes that were more aggressive, which is pretty fucking awful. But that's, uh, that's this version of Vite. So... Here we finally get to the ending. I said that things were going to be very different and things were going to be insane because, as we talked about, <clears throat> Ham was like, we can't, we have to change this ending. It, we can't do the whole giant squid creates this disaster that causes all these people to decide, you know what, let's end the Cold War. Um, Ham himself also didn't believe that that would work. So there's no giant squid in the, from the comic and there's no frame-up of Dr. Manhattan. There's, no, there's not even a disaster to... Uh, save the world so that people can come together. It's a completely different idea. So Vite reveals that he's been working on a tachyon chamber. He's able to see other timelines. That's why he uh, he kidnapped all the scientists, so that he could manipulate time itself. And there is a timeline where the human race does not get destroyed during the you know Cold War turning into Armageddon. It survives because Dr. Manhattan never existed. So... 
to ch save the world, he's going to change the past and prevent John Osterman from becoming Dr. Manhattan and saving the world from then on. So things are a lot different from here. That's cool. Uh, it is it's an interesting idea. I'm like, that's it kind of makes sense, but I again, if you are like hardcore, like every word from this book must make it to the screen, you're gonna hate this. But if you're a little bit more open minded and you're just like, okay, I get it, you can't use the ending from the comic, and you've also got a two hour movie. It has to be something. It has to be something earth shattering, and it has to make sense for Adrian to use it to save the world. It's it makes sense that he went along these lines. So, uh, Doctor Manhattan and Laurie show up to try to help out. Fight attempts to kill them along with Laurie, and since he just tried to attack, you know, his wife, Doctor Manhattan, teleports her away across the room to save her, and uh, in retaliation, he vaporizes Adrian. So okay. that's the next major change. No HBO spinoff with Jeremy Irons for you, Adrian. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure that's what people who originally read the comic would be expecting the ending to be in some ways too. Like I think Ham kind of gave us the more traditional uh, fate for Adrian uh, at the end of this compared to the comic. Uh, so yeah, for once we have Adrian being dead and Rorschach is alive in this uh, at the end of this. So uh, Dr. Manhattan finds out what Adrian was going to do with his plan to prevent his existence. And Dr. Manhattan is like, okay, he was right. My work here is finished. And he goes into the tachyon chamber and he goes back in time to the past and meets himself. Oh man. Uh, where it's it's John Osterman in the chamber who's like begging to get out because he knows that this is going to be the end of him. And now this giant blue naked guy comes in and uh, merges with him. And the energy of it apparently helps unlock the door. And John Osterman is saved and never turned into Dr. Manhattan. He's just now back to being a scientist who gets to live the rest of his life with Janie Slater and potentially, you know, grow old together with her. And people rejoice that there's a miracle. This guy was saved. It could have been a terrible accident. And they look over and they see there's this fissure of time that's in the chamber that's slowly closing as they see Night Owl, Silk Spectre, and Rorschach on the other side. And, you know, we're basically left with the three remaining Watchmen. And time has faded all away from them. They don't know what's going to happen because now they belong to a timeline that doesn't even exist. And they end up going through a vortex and they land in New York. And everyone is staring at them. And, you know, wondering what's going on. And someone's like, oh, look, it's the Watchmen. Except they're not referencing the Watchmen superhero team. They're referencing, because one of them is holding up, the Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons comic book, Watchmen. Because remember, they've been transported to a world where Dr. Manhattan does not exist because he was never created. He was never around to, you know, stop. He was never around to help us win the Vietnam War. He was never around to cause the escalation of the Cold War. So the world without Dr. Manhattan is our world. They are literally transported into our world at the end of Sam Hamm's Watchmen script. And that is the ending. That's cool. I yeah. like it. <laughs> Approved. Not just because I met you online, Sam Hamm. That's good. Yeah. I was like, this is insane. And again, if you're a purist, you're just like, what is this shit? But I'm like, for 1989, I don't think they're going to like the fact that like, all the people who love Rorschach are going to see him get vaporized. The villain doesn't, the villain doesn't really get his comeuppance. Uh, you know, a giant squid shows up, like all this type of stuff. All these people die. You know, like it's a lot simpler. It's more palatable for the audience. It's a lot more 
just audience friendly in general. And it's also very creative and sort of speaks to the idea that like the only thing like it was superpowers that separated us from Armageddon. <laughs> Superheroes sped up Armageddon in some way uh, is kind of the commentary here. In this, which I mean, is kind of what it is in the comic still. If Dr. Manhattan really did exist, it would really fuck up the world, right? I yeah. mean, even if it wasn't actively destroying it, it would just like, that's a that's a landmark event. It's like meeting aliens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It would change the world forever. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's, that's really cool, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so too. So it was, it's an insane ending. Uh, this image also has been photoshopped by Dan so that they look like they're on a New York street. But uh, That's cool. Sam Hamm did say that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons got to read the script and he said that Moore quote was probably more disappointed than he let on but he thought I had done as good a job as anybody could Moore said that about this script uh yeah so wow so that's a pretty good approval actually that's incredible I'm going to go pray to my snake god now (laughs) yeah yeah. that's Uh, so so weird man (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it just sucks that he hates superhero shit so much these days. It kind of yeah, kills me. Yeah. But like talking about like tachyons and different, different like, um, you know, timelines and stuff. Like, talking about, this is less about, I guess, Sam Ham's take, but just Dr. Manhattan in general. I just, I love that idea of like, you have like, like scientifically we, uh, look, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but apparently we don't really know what time is, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, there, there's some actual science, just like there's actual science for the multiverse. They've called it M theory and shit like that. I've I've read a couple books and watched watch a lot of documentaries. You know, I'm not I'm not an expert on this. I just like talking about it. But like, there's there's other theories that like our perception of time is one way, but it's very possible mathematically or whatever. I don't know what it is that that all of time is happening all at once. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. this is scientifically feasible. And I wonder if Alan Moore read that and like, I don't know, scientific American or whatever, whatever the scientific journal in Britain at the time or whatever it is. And was like, that's good. And then he turns that idea and makes something poetic about it with Dr. Manhattan. You know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, he sees time hacks. for what it is all yeah. at once. It's just there's no separation, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I I I love those kind of ideas. I think that's where, at times, it's where comics can shine the the brightest, in my opinion, as a guy from a sci-fi, a guy that likes sci-fi a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever you can take those science ideas, put them in a superhero, and then make it poetic in a certain way, and so that yeah, you know. That's just, that's why I like Dr. Manhattan. That's one of the reasons, I guess. And and I like Alan Moore, even though we hate superhero shit. <laughs> I thought I find him funny. Yeah. And uh, one last disclaimer. I know there is one, there's a major interview of uh, George, of uh, Grant Morrison kind of explaining uh, chaos magic. But then he says in another interview later on, a podcast, that he's more of an Aleister Crowley guy. So I just wanted to put that out there. Oh. I know People might have commented about it mm-hmm. because there's some. He has some video explaining some shit, and uh, that might be more famous in the podcast episode. But he does say it anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. That's it for me. <clears throat> I also like the giant squid is another thing you got to buy into. 
Like the yeah, yeah, Sam yeah. Hams brought up how uh, you kind of have to buy multiple different things in with Watchmen. First off, superheroes is is usually just the first buy in all this, but specifically the giant, you know, the giant blue dick is is another <laughs> aspect of this, and also it being like altered history that like this guy not only exists but he existed to influence real world events. You know, President Nixon is still uh-huh. president, like all this type of yeah. stuff, this whole alternate thing. And so yeah. when you also add like, okay, and they also create a giant squid that's going to randomly show up at the end that kill all these people. It's another thing to buy. The time travel thing is still another thing to buy, but it's almost like it's almost like Ham went through the comic and was just like, well, he's able to see all of time itself. So given that principle, why couldn't you? Why couldn't Adrian find some way to travel in time and stuff? Uh, and thematically tie into this idea that Dr. Manhattan, you know, removing Dr. Manhattan from this history would just basically turn it into ours. So I, I, I appreciate right. the choice right. here, given that he was given, you know, a pretty much, I mean, he didn't necessarily get the mandate from somebody. He was the one who brought up the, the fact that this was not going to work in terms of adapting it solely from the comic. Uh, I think that's also why the HBO series stays, as far as I know, stays true to the fact that there was a giant squid because it's not it adapting. Does. Yeah, it doesn't adapt that part. It 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 does in the sense that it it happened, but it doesn't actually, uh, it doesn't have that type of ending for it. It takes place afterwards, so like they could still kind of get away with it better as opposed to actually adapting the comic, where it happens for the exact same reasons. So um, I appreciate it. I appreciate what happened here. Um, that yeah. said. Uh, really good ending, really strong. I thought yeah. it was pretty strong all the way through. I mean, with the intro, with with the, you know, shoot your balls off if you show <laughs> your titties, you know, all those lines. I'm sure if they made that, people would be like, mm, I don't know, you know, the first 15 minutes. But yeah, you know, as time goes on, uh, you know, it's pretty solid. I mean. Yeah, I mean, especially if you can end well, that's where a lot of people drop it, man. It's yeah. at the ending, right? The third mm-hmm. act, people drop it in the third act. So if you can, got to get that tight third act. You know, it it that's what uh, really makes it, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, now, it wouldn't be Hollywood without rewrites. So they decided to bring in a couple other writers for this, and the writers who we kind of sort of know their work from. It's Charles McKeown who did. Uh, uncredited rewrites on Batman 89, and Warren Scarrett, who did the onset rewrites of Batman 89. God damn it. God damn it. Let's get nuts. <laughs> ah, fuck it. He's doing the typewriter. Yeah. Let's get nuts. <laughs> fuck, he's got like a pound of cocaine and some coffee, some black coffee and some beef jerky on set. That's what he was, when he was writing Let's Get Nuts, that's what he fucking was pounding down Warren we um, tried this Robin sequence it didn't work we tried this other thing with the mayor it didn't work we have to keep it in the apartment sequence we don't know what Bruce Wayne's gonna do what do you got <laughs> you wanna get nuts <laughs> god damn it it's brilliant let's get nuts all caps <laughs> motherfuckers <laughs> Tim Burton's like I like it this is badass <laughs> Bob Kane already gave my approval and said he, he gave me this cocaine <laughs> So yeah, clearly, clearly they were not creative in terms of like who who do we get for this? Eh, let's just get whoever else works on Batman. <laughs> so, I mean, shit, it's all Warner Brothers superhero shit. So makes sense, yeah. and it's the Batman guy, right? Or the first one? Yeah, yeah. These are everybody from '89. So yeah, so. this is their this is their bullpen. Yeah, uh, they did not ask Tim Burton though. They asked Terry Gilliam, 
Uh, ah, I've heard of this. Yes. Yeah, so this is this would have been Terry Gilliam directed uh, for Watchmen, and um, you know he's had a lot of different statements on it, but ultimately he 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 walked away from it feeling like this move this movie's unfilmable. Like this, we can't turn this into a movie. Uh, it's pre CG so, and all that, you know. Yeah, like I I don't think you could have. They could have done it, but you're not looking at like a Batman level success. Like this is a type of movie that is not your major blockbuster. And like, I feel like even today, like today's probably one of the best times for this, clearly with the HBO series. But like if they did another adaptation of this, uh, I still feel like there would be a sect of people who just would not, it would just not click with them on that. I mean, it kind of happened with, it kind of happened with me in 2009 at first. And it goes back to like what you were saying about, there's a lot of things you got to buy and like kind of get into this world, yeah. you know, like when you first start getting into like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, I remember when I first started watching Game of Thrones, like I just didn't have my bearings. I had to watch episodes two or three times in a row to fucking get anything. And that was kind of how this was. It was kind of, I just had to, I don't know, man, I just had to get used to it. I wasn't like used to this. And I, like I had read a few comics at that time, but honestly, I think I've read more comics after 2009 than before. And Which is probably why I clicked more afterwards. It clicked more, probably, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there's probably probably like especially like, you know, in what 89, whenever this would have come out, 90. When would they release this? Probably 90, 91. I mean, that definitely would have needed a lot of time in order yeah. to, to get Doctor Manhattan down. Yeah, exactly. How they would have done that, who knows? But also, like Alan Moore is saying, like he, he made comic panels that were that was supposed to be unfilmable because he didn't know what CG was going to be a thing. Like even there's that the shot of going in and out of the the pen, the happy pen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without CG, this is kind of unfilmable. Yeah. Unless you do maybe a dissolve or something, but mm-hmm. like there's no lens really that could have done that practically, right? So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just... It would have been very different. He makes this... Supposedly, Alan Moore wrote this where he wanted to make it to where it was unfilmable. It was like on purposefully written to be not be made into a movie. (laughs) That's what he said. I don't know if that's like... that turned out. That's like after the fact or whatever. But then again, and he write it in 86, they didn't know Mm -hmm. what CG was. They didn't know it was going to be coming in 30 years from then. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I get it. You know, now nothing is really unfilmable, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, the unfilmable aspects of it could have, like, they could have just not tried to replicate it as closely as, like, what Snyder ended up doing. You know, they could have just kind of tried yeah. to do their own thing. But you still have to, it's still a story that people are just like, okay, I've never heard, of, first off, I've never heard of these characters. Yeah. Uh, Second of all, like there's it's twisting tropes when they might not have, especially in 89, 90, they wouldn't have really gotten uh, the tropes down. And there were no tropes, like, not, in the, not like, in the public. And again, even today, I feel like it's, it's kind of a sell. It's kind of just considering that I think a lot of people went into the Batman thinking that it was going to be an action movie and instead got like a detective movie, you know, and, and we're just like, what the fuck is this? Again, when it being closer to, you know, something like L.A. Confidential as opposed to Heat, you know, like it. It's uh, or probably not bad, probably not a good example. LA Confidential as opposed to like Die Hard in terms of like action or John Wick. 
they got something different. Like, I, I think they would go into this expecting, like, okay, it's going to be like the Avengers type of stuff. I'm like, uh, it's a murder mystery, and one of them ends up in jail and kills a dude. <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with uh, depending on which version you see, with either a meat cleaver or feeds him to the dogs. <laughs> like, it, it, it just does not, it doesn't quite, there's something about it that will always not click of stuff because there's still going to be that tradition of, like, Oh, like it's just about good and evil, and I'm just here watching, you know, good guy punch bad guy a lot of the times, and like that's not that type of movie. This one isn't the Batman wasn't like it's not it's not that type. So it's it's still there's still going to be an element of it being a tough sell, but it definitely would have been a tough sell in '89 and '90. I'm glad he got his approval. That's amazing. Honestly, that is good. yeah, yeah. You know. Um, Let's see. Also revealed in our interview of Ham, we talked about how, like, I had read rumors. I don't know how true it was. I don't know how serious they were about Arnold being Dr. Manhattan. Probably just because, like, we need a buff dude. Oh, yeah. Uh, for this. But, yeah, I, I can't picture that in terms of, like, him actually saying the lines that Dr. Manhattan has to say. Uh, they might have they might have tried it, though, man. We, you know, we're getting to, like, peak Arnold popularity uh, at that that's time. That's true. So. I just, yeah. Um, however, Ham confirmed that David Bowie wanted the role of Rorschach, which shocked me during our interview because once he said Bowie, I thought for sure, oh, Adrian, you know? Yeah, But yeah. it makes a lot of sense when we think about it because I think it's it's deliberately against type. It's like, right. oh, yeah, like I'm one of the most recognizable faces in, uh, uh, in music history. Cover my face for most of the movie. <laughs> Have right. to play a bum. Uh, it does kind of give away the Rorschach twist because like once you see him with the end of his nice sign, you're just like... All right, well, clearly he's Rorschach. Yeah. Um, but it's it would have been really interesting. I'm curious what his take would have been. But this, we're looking at fan art from one of our uh, fans, the Imaginative Hobbyist, again, who, who did it in light of our interview of Sam Ham. So I thought I would throw this in here as well so you could sort of see the visual for that. Looks so. like Frankenstein, a blue Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, I think the, the costume as well is right from the, the Snyder movie uh so no awesome awesome stuff uh i'd be curious too i don't know if anybody has done like fan art images of the younger versions of um like jeremy irons as adrian from the hbo series or gene smart's Lori and stuff i don't know if anybody's done that but i'd love Maybe. to see those and stuff even though i haven't seen the show yet but i know those characters are in it i know dr manhattan's in it um but i i'd love to see the fan art of that just you to gotta kind of you, imagine it you gotta do yourself a favor and watch uh watchman hbo and peacemaker dude you're gonna have a great time all right like Get much lighter it. you have to really pay attention to watchman though you can't just like do laundry and shit okay. it's it's like it's one of those peacemaker you can do laundry too <laughs> okay all right but it's, it's lighter it's comedy but I'll there's there's a there's a pretty heavy you know, it's pretty heavy and serious at times. And like, there's the police commentary and, uh, mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't know, some political stuff. And it's just like, let's, let's the kind of, the kind of, um, commentaries Alan Moore was trying to make in the eighties. Yeah. We're going to take the spirit of those commentaries, but make the commentaries about now, yeah. which is why it was, this is why it was so great, man. So, I'll check it out. Yeah. I'm on a Halloween kick right now. So Oh, uh, yeah, that's November. true. That's <laughs> so. true. Yeah, you can maybe... Oh, dude, that's that's a great no November watches right there, dude. Watch yeah. both of those in November. That'd be yeah. awesome. 
though the original Watchmen story is set in October. Halloween happens. Oh, was it? Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I it is about technically that. kind of a Halloween superhero movie or superhero story. Okay. But yeah, uh, I'll check those out. We'll do. We'll have some discussions on those in the future. But in the meantime, that is superhero stuff you should know. Big thanks to our research assistant, Dan, for gathering the visuals for the YouTube experience and photoshopping a bunch of them. Uh, a quick uh, sort of uh, retraction or corrections department. Uh, Dan reached out to me after seeing our last episode with the Hulk. Uh, he did not draw this from scratch with the Hulk and Betty. Uh, he mainly did the arm and the gun uh, okay. on this. Uh, Ziari Parker commented, the image of the Hulk and Betty are from the Ultimate Avengers animated movie. So, uh, okay, not seen, but okay, still, still going above and beyond, still providing us images that uh, help bring these unmade ideas to life. So, thank you, Dan, for that. Yeah, he still photoshopped it. Moving on to the fan comments, uh, slashman.exe commented on our Ham interview saying, Ham talking about Joker's philosophy made a small detail add up. Joker's goons all have minor makeup appliances to make them scarred, deformed, tattooed in some way on their faces. It was an extra bit of character lore to know that Joker intentionally sought to surround himself with scarred misfits after his acid bath. Uh, that is correct. Look at these images that uh, Dan provided of us with the Joker's goons from the 89 movie. This guy's got a scar down his lip. This guy uh, around his under his eye. Bob's got the scar that's like close around his cheek. Um, and so like you can see it throughout all of them. And I've always kind of noticed it, but I just thought, oh, they're a scar just because they're henchmen. I didn't connect the two until uh, that's true there's a got brought up there's a connection there i'm sure this is a good catch and mm -hmm. it's probably on purpose and it's probably for that reason yeah. that we're talking about now a hundred percent i'm pretty sure anyway yeah. pretty sure this is correct yes yeah yeah so all these years of watching and growing up 89 still finding like new and new stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's deep man <laughs> all right on to other fan comments, the Ant1747 commented on our Batman 89 novelization episode saying, I really feel like you guys are so underrated with this show. Thank you. We get uh, told that all the time, we man. Are. We <laughs> tell all your friends about us, you know what I'm saying? Make us rated. Yeah. <laughs> we won't be overrated. I'd love to be overrated. <laughs> I, I want to get to that point in my life. <laughs> we, we need to get to rated first. I'm, I'm going to skip it. I'm going to go straight to rated. Right, we'll straight. Let us know. <laughs> I mean, overrated. <laughs> uh, love the in-depth deep dives into all things Batman. Definitely going to be going out of my way to get this and the Returns novelization. Woo! Awesome. eBay. Yep. Uh, Walter the Wobot says, got to get Goyer next. Let's talk about She-Hulk with him. <laughs> what does he but, think about the show, man? David, you've been doing Blade. You did the Dark Knight trilogy, Man of Steel, Constantine. <laughs> We're here to talk about She-Hulk in the <laughs> yeah. comments back in like 2010. <laughs> so what'd you think of the show? Uh, Daredevil's Walk of Shame, all that. Let us know, all right? Yeah. We're mainly interested in that. Yeah, your yeah. Your Batman Unburied podcast, we don't really want to talk about that. Eh. <laughs> Any of your current stuff, nah. She-Hulk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, moving on to the fan shout outs. Thank you, everybody, by the way. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So here we go. Thank everybody. I hope you're here on this board. And thank especially to some of our newer people, uh, Chris M., Darren F., Billy L., Yusuf A., Kevin R., Derek O., and Mark M., and our other supporters. Thank you, guys. 
as always, if you're up on this board, you're on the $1 tier or above. Uh, that is the $1 tier on patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And our $5 tier is a whole other show. This show's every Monday, $5 tiers every Friday. And it's another deep dive. And you just get to hear our lovely voices twice a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's a $5 tier, whole other show, deep dives and whatnot. Then our $10 tier is our monthly meetup. That's where we meet up monthly and kind of shoot the shit with the fans in a Zoom-like call with also a topic at hand and things like that. Check it out, everybody. And um, our merch, our ever-dwindling merch. <laughs> <laughs> superhousepod.redbubble.com and superherostuffpod.threadless.com thank you Halsey for buying this shit uh, <laughs> uh, Ben Man Ben Man and Deed Wizard Ben Man on one of them and then <laughs> and Deed Wizard Dacula mug search shower curtains and the rest artwork by Stefan Santa Cruz and uh, so please send us some audio at superhousepodcast at gmail.com also that's just our general inbox so send us whatever you want there um, as long as it's not incriminating or anything um so yeah thunderwolf drew on instagram and twitter is me thunderwolf lives on youtube thunderwolfdrew.com has my whole portfolio in one spot except for amonorecon.com that's a-m-a-n-o-r-e-c-o-n.com it's r-rated power rangers meet stranger things uh kind of show original idea this uh lovely poster by zachary jackson brown art.com this is going to be indiegogo thing coming out soon i'm telling you it's coming it's definitely coming. And then what's actually already come as of today when this podcast releases mm-hmm. is our first episode of Gaming Guide and Get It, where you get all your podcasts. It's my other podcast. Uh, it's about video games. Our first host is Matt. Uh, first guest is Matt Alt. He is the author of Pure Invention. I listen to this on Audible, audiobook. It's also a regular book, of course. He's been a host on um, NHK, which is a japanese channel like the main channel in japan it's english language i think he speaks japanese i was a translator and uh like you know even though it's about japan and video games and stuff just like we do on here where we kind of discuss things in kind of a mature way uh even though it's comic books also gaming guide and i've i've noticed this looking back on it like because we've already recorded it like it is a pretty mature kind of conversation about all these things mm-hmm. and Japanese culture and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, it's going to be 10 episodes, 10 weeks, 10 Patreon episodes. That's another Patreon. That's going to be the gaming guide and Patreon. Uh, but yeah, it's out gaming guide gaming. And then guide is G a I D E N. So that's it. Awesome. Check that out guys. Uh, shout out to Comic Capital on Instagram for your support, as well as Everything Entertainment Club on Clubhouse. You can follow our social media on Twitter at Superhouse Pod, Instagram, Superhero Stuff Pod, TikTok, Superhero Stuff Pod, Vero, Superhero Stuff Pod. Uh, my website is benwanwriter.com, where you can read all my other scripts uh, that I'm willing to put out there that I don't own the rights for, which is the Gotham <laughs> script, Gotham Vampire, where young Bruce faces off against the Mad Monk. Spec script for Elementary, The Death of Sherlock Holmes, a modern update on The Adventure of Dying Detective, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland, the Curb episode they could never make, where Larry goes to Disneyland. Uh, my YouTube channel is in the description below, where you can also check out Doctor Who, the Ronin of Time, an audio drama I write, narrate, and edit, in which the eighth Doctor meets Miyamoto Musashi. Uh, my personal Instagram is Ben Juan Writer. 
my son's Instagram, my cat, Alfie Pennyworth Cat, who might have made a vocal cameo in the background at one point in this, uh, <laughs> is at Alfie Pennyworth Cat on Instagram. And if you have an Alfie yourself, uh, or a Peanut, who also loved the Sam Ham Whis- Watchmen script, then loved I about, it. I was about to say Whisker Man instead of Watchmen. <laughs> Whisker Man. <laughs> the, the, the Wicker Man for cats. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can get the Whisker Box through us, through our promo link, whatever that is. Uh, the only cat box <laughs> for the crazy cat lady and Jen. It's around there somewhere, you know? <laughs> somewhere, it's somewhere around here, along with our Bark Box promo link. It's a, you know, we got one. Yeah, Spark Don't Box. Don't worry about it. Whisker Box. The Bark Box one specifically will get you the first month off for free, <laughs> valued at $35. That is true. That is actually true. And you can get that at superherostuffpod.com slash shop. And uh, with that, that is it. With it. And you know... We'd like you to look at that big blue dick. (laughs) (laughs) We're not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with the big blue dick. Woo! listening to the Geekscape Network.